0: This is episode 109 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2014, Dancing on the Battlefield. This is Breakout Session 1, Sacred Mundane, Let Your Days Transform Your Life, from Carrie Patterson. It is just a joy to be here with you. So I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for these women who are giving up their time in the sun to hear from you, Father. We love you, we bow before you, and we pray that you would speak this morning through your word to give us hope and life and truth that would change the way that we live from here on out, God. We ask that you would have free reign in this place, that you would be happy with everything that's spoken. God, that you would be lifted up, that it would be your name that is exalted. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, as Angie said, my passion in life is the sacred mundane, how everything that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God, and that God is in every detail of life, okay? So this is my passion. This is what I bring to the table. And so last weekend, my toilet clogged, okay? I don't know if any of you had that happen recently, if you remember what that's like, and it was my only available toilet. And it clogged, okay? So I came home Saturday night from an event, which was about the sacred mundane. And we had been talking about how God is in every detail of life and how he uses everything to transform us. And we're just all glowing and full of joy. And I come floating home on the clouds. And I have six house guests in my house right now. So there's 10 of us total. And I come upstairs at 11 o'clock at night. My husband says, yeah, so the toilet's broken. I'm like, okay, so fix it. Like right now. Well, I can't fix it. I'll fix it in the morning. Okay, so I'm sorry, too much detail. Like, this is an important time for me to have the bathroom, okay? Can I just, we're in a women's conference. Can I just say that? I'm just like, no, I'm sorry, you'll need to fix the toilet now. He's like, I can't fix it. I gotta go to Home Depot. So, okay, so I go to sleep. It's gonna be all better in the morning, right? Wake up in the morning, he's the pastor, so he leaves early to go to church. We've got a full day of activity. I wake up and my text from him says, so sorry, couldn't get it fixed. You can just use the bathroom at the building. I'm like this is not going to work, okay? I have 10 people in my house. And so I'm trying to think of an idea. We have a full day ahead of us. I'm church, small church plan. I don't know if you've ever been part of something like that, but you do everything, okay? So I'm the setup crew, and I'm the coffee maker, and I'm the djembe player, and I'm the preschool teacher, and I'm the mother-in-law, the pastor's wife, the mom. I'm just like too many roles, okay? So that's what's ahead. So I'm thinking through this day, And I'm thinking, okay, I know what I can do. I'm in charge of watering the plants at our neighbor's house while they're out of town, and I know where their hidden key is. So I can sneak across the street and use their bathroom, right? So here I am, it's first thing in the morning, and I'm wearing my rubber boots and my little uh, jammy pants. And I go across the street, and I see in their driveway, and their car is there. And they came home early. Bless them, right? So I can't use their toilet. So I come back home. I get upstairs in my bathroom, and I lay hands on that toilet, okay? And I pray for the God of the universe to please heal the toilet. And I am asking in Jesus' name for God's power. I'm not joking. I am putting my hands on that toilet. I'm like, Lord, you can do all things. I pray in Jesus' name that you would heal my toilet, okay? And the God of the universe who has all power, who raises the dead, didn't, okay? Did not choose to. But he did, and all jesting aside, he did bring me back to the sacred mundane. And he brought me back to the truth that he uses everything in my life to conform me into the image of Christ. He uses all of the ordinary mundane activities to change me from the inside out. So he brought me back to that. And so I did the only thing I know to do. I got on my face. I'm a big proponent of just getting down on your face. And I got on my face and prayed for the day. And we had new tenants moving into our basement apartment. We had company. I was in charge of cooking meals for people. It just was looking like, I don't know if you ever just have the insane day where you go, there's no way I can do all the things I'm supposed to do. And I got on my face and I said, Lord, honestly, I know I'm not supposed to say things like this. I don't see any way that this day can be anything but horrible, honestly. I've got a headache from you nowhere. I do not know how this day can be anything but terrible. But I will practice what I preach. And I will lay this day up on the altar. Whatever touches the altar becomes sacred. And I will let you take my sacred mundane and use this day to transform my life. I give you this day. Use this day to transform my life. Use the toilet to transform me, okay? Use the sewage to sanctify me if you must. And it reminded me of another person in Scripture who did not like the way that God chose to transform him. He did not like the means that God used to change his life. And his name was Naaman. You guys remember Naaman? Right? From 2 Kings 5. You remember the story. Naaman was a successful man. He was a commander in the army. He was a man of great valor because the Lord had given victory to Syria through him. He had a lot of things going for him. And the very end of 2 Kings 5 one says Naaman was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Naaman was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. This was Naaman's life in a sentence. Naaman's life in a sentence. So I would ask you today to think about, what would your life be in a sentence? If your entire life was two clauses with a butt in the middle, right? What would the sentence of your life be? there's a good chance that it would read something like his did, right? You are a dazzling daughter of God. We looked at identity in Pam's workshop yesterday. It was wonderful. You are a wonderful, precious daughter of God, but, but. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper, but. So chances are you have a but, and it's a problem, and I do not mean that offensively, okay? (laughs) If you thought of that, shame on you. There is a but in the sentence of our life, and that is our, the problem. Okay? Sometimes we can kind of cope with it, right? Kind of like Naaman, I can just see, he probably wore long sleeves, kind of kept it covered up so he wouldn't have to be separated into a separate place. Maybe gloves, I'm thinking Elsa kind of gloves, right? Like, cover it up, conceal, don't feel. Sorry, I, didn't, I just quoted Frozen. I'm so sorry. I did not mean to do that. Something about having a five year old daughter gets that in your mind. Cover it up, right? But it spreads. Leprosy spreads. And anything, our heart sickness, whatever that is, when it is left alone, it always spreads. Anything that we keep hidden always spreads. Okay? And eventually, It interfered enough that he sought change. When our problem interferes enough, we seek change, right? When the discomfort of our problem exceeds the discomfort of change, things happen. Because change is hard, right? But change happens when the discomfort of our problem exceeds the discomfort of change. Because change is hard, but nothing is harder than living stuck. Amen? If you have been there, you know there is nothing harder than living stuck. And in my mind, the sacred mundane, embracing all of life as a means of transformation, is an invitation to live unstuck. Life unstuck. The process of getting unstuck is called transformation. Transformation is living a life unstuck. And we all long to see change, right? We long to see change in our world and in our lives, but I believe that we overlook the most powerful catalyst for affecting true change in our lives, and that is the dirty waters of daily life, the dirty, dusty dailiness. So Naaman was desperate to change, right? And so he finds out about the legendary prophet Elijah, and he goes straight away to meet him. He pulls out all the stops. He loads his chariot with 10 talents of silver, six 1,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothes, right? Surely pouring more money into this would get him the finest treatment available, right? So often our first response to a problem is just to pour more money into it, right? Surely that will get us the best treatment available. So Naaman prepares himself for this grand encounter with the legendary prophet. What would it be like to see Elijah in person, right? He approaches Elijah's home. Here's the moment he's been waiting for. It's like when we go see some big name speaker. It's like, if I see them in person, that's going to be the thing that like gets me out of this funk, right? Whoever that big name is, or if I read that big name book, that is going to be it. That's going to get me what I need. And he's wondering, okay, with this transformation, would it come through flashes of lightning or a thundering voice from heaven? Like perhaps a hurricane? Like how would it happen? And verse 10 tells us, Elijah doesn't even come out to meet him. Doesn't even come out to meet him. And Naaman is ticked, appalled, and offended. How dare he not show up the way I want him to? Elijah sends word instead. He says, go wash in the Jordan seven times. Naaman says, excuse me? What? What? I thought God would do something more spectacular than this in my life. But Naaman was angry. 2 Kings 5, 11 and 12 says, Naaman was angry and went off saying, Behold, I thought that Elijah would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over this place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Forget it, he says. I quit. I'm not doing that. How often we want God to transform us on our terms? How often do we balk at his bidding when he tells us to go and dip down into whatever the dirtiness is that we most despise? How we want to have some miraculous, spectacular event, right? Some prophet to wave his hand over us and make us mature and new or read some book, right? God so hammered this lesson home in my life so humiliatingly about five years ago. Just a huge struggle with my, a certain child. And the Lord, I was saying, God, why can't you transform me like through Bible study and through like, like fun things? He's like, I am going to transform you through this painful relationship I don't want that. (laughs) Dip down into that. Through dipping down into the dirty, dusty dailiness of life. That is how we let our days transform our life. It is the overlooked and ordinary and ignored stuff of life that changes us, that transforms us, that heals us. It is the sacred mundane that makes us new. So not surprisingly in our story, it is the servants of Naaman, those humble folk who took care of all the mundane tasks, it's the servants of Naaman who talk some sense into this man. They say, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? God's word and I, you're, I'm a humble servant, okay? I scrubbed the toilet the day before I came here, so I'm not some spiritual celebrity, okay? And I am pleading with you, will you not do it? God's word pleads with us, will you not do it? What we need to find true transformation is already in our lives. The ordinary, the mundane that God has entrusted to us, will you not do it? So Naaman, the good news is, Naaman, verse 14, went down and dipped himself seven times into the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. No more did his sentence read, but he was a leper. The new ending of Naaman's life sentence was, and he was clean. The sentence of Naaman's life was forever changed because he was willing to dip down in to the dirty filthiness that he most despised. So the question for us today is, I think as we look at transformation is, how does God want to change the sentence of your life? How does he want to take that but and turn it into an and? How does he want to change the sentence of our life? We're going to look together quickly in the rest of our time at six quick ways um, that we can uh, cooperate with God as he uses the mundane to transform us, okay? Are you with me? Are you game? Everybody good? Okay, take a deep breath. So first, we're going to lay a quick foundation for this, all right? Um, In the first 10 years of marriage, my husband and I moved 13 times. Okay, That's how I feel about that. Uh, I so longed for just to be settled, and it was like the Lord said, I'm just going to keep moving you until you're discontent with me. Okay, And so we moved 13 times, so we had a lot of experience checking out dwellings, if you will. We bought and sold a number of houses. Um, we had some rental, apartment, you name it. It's literally, you name it, I have lived in it, okay, uh, windowless pit of an apartment with uh, rotted floors, anyway, story for another time, so we got used to checking out uh, dwellings, and so naturally, I go straight for the place that matters to me, the kitchen, okay, because that's where we live, I don't know, that's where I live, I kind of have this like triangle of space, and it's like sink, stove, feeding kids, sink, stove, feeding kids, and I feel like that's where I live, right? That's where you can find me. You come in, talk to me, the kitchen. So that's what I look at. What is it that impacts me on a daily basis? I go straight to that. My husband and my dad go straight for the foundation, right? They go to the foundation because they don't care how cute it is on the inside if it's all going to fall down around you, right? It doesn't matter if the countertops are just so cute if the roof falls down and the foundation falls apart, right? So that's what we're going to do is lay a foundation for the sacred mundane. Because so often, we just look for the next, like, quick life tips. And honestly, we do not need more life advice, right? We have got Oprah to give us plenty of life advice on all of our coffee cups. Thank you, right? We don't need more life advice. I don't need any self-help. I need a foundation. And the problem is if we just go straight for the life advice and stay straight for the quick six tips to help us feel better, eventually it's all going to fall down around us unless we have the foundation of the Word of God giving us truth. The fads of how these things are said, someone else will talk about transformation with different words than I do. But the foundation has to be the same and has to be secure. So the foundation of this, of the sacred mundane that we can stand on first, the most important thing to know is that transformation is all about God and not us. Transformation is all about God and not us. The Bible is all about God. This world is all about God. Life is all about God. This is his world and we're just living in it, right? It's all about God. When we come to transformation starting with ourselves and then trying to add God on to give us an awesome life, we're sunk, right? God is not here to give me an awesome life. I am here to be part of God's story. This is God's gospel story, and I am so grateful he lets me be a minor character in it. Transformation is all about God and his world and me being changed so that I can be part of it so I don't mess it up, right? Transformation is all about God. In fact, our only goal in life should be to please God and do what he wants. Brother Lawrence said 400 years ago, he said, our sole occupation in life is to please God. Our sole occupation in life is to please God. Ephesians 5.10 says, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what pleases the Lord. The good news, though, is that God wants to transform us. That's what pleases him. So isn't that great news? What we want and what he wants are the same. He wants us to be transformed, to change us and conform us into the image of his son, to sanctify us, to set us apart and make our lives more and more holy and set apart to him. That's what he wants to do. That is his will. Our chief aim in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And God's chief aim is to glorify himself. Now, how do we glorify God? How do we please and glorify God? Thankfully, Jesus tells us straight up in John 15, 8. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is how we glorify God. I love verses like this. It's so clear, right? There's a lot of verses that are not clear. This is clear. How do we glorify God? By bearing fruit. Now, what is fruit? Does that mean I go and do spectacular things? What is fruit? He's talking about spiritual fruit, right? You know the spiritual fruit. You've been to Sunday school. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That is what pleases and glorifies God. Big buildings... And big, fancy things do not necessarily, they might, glorify God. Patience does. Going and doing some spectacular great work for God doesn't necessarily glorify God. Faithfulness does. Love does. These things can be done in the spotlight or in the shadows. Wherever we are, we can bear spiritual fruit. There are many people who rise up as great athletes and celebrities and pastors and missionaries who have millions of followers and they please many, many, many people. But no matter who you are, we can please God when we bear spiritual fruit. No matter what season of life you are in, you can bear spiritual fruit and please God. And that is our sole occupation. His will is our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, three says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Again, love it when it's clear. Thank you, Paul. Sometimes you're so confusing, but right now you're so clear. Our sanctification, that's what he wants to do. We always quote Romans 8.28, right? He works all things for good. And the next verse sometimes we leave out is, so that we would be conformed to the image of his son. That is the good that he's always working in our lives to conform us into the image of his son. Now, how does this happen? By seeing all of life as sacred. That everything in our lives is a means of us seeing God, knowing God, worshiping God, and letting God change us into the image of his son. Hebrews 13, 15 to 16 says, Through Jesus, therefore... Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. There again, how is God pleased through a continual sacrifice of praise. We know in the Old Testament that there was the sacrificial system of atonement. And if you read through Leviticus, you'll be confused. But you also will read in chapter 5 and chapter 6 that the altar was to be continually burning. There was always to be fire on the altar, a continual offering to God. All right, now Jesus came and he put an end of the sacrificial system for atonement, right? Once and for all, he died and satisfied the wrath of God, sat down at the right hand of God, and that form of sacrifice is done. But the sacrifice continues. The ongoing fire on the altar continues. How? Through Jesus with a sacrifice of praise. Our lives are not a continual sacrifice for atonement. Our lives are a continual sacrifice of praise, In every mundane moment, through the ordinary mundane tasks we do each day, Tim Chester writes in his book, Everyday Gospel, he says, doing the dishes is a sacrifice of praise for the finished sacrifice of Christ. Praise God, right? I was worshiping God before I came to this conference, washing the dishes, right? Worshiping God through those activities. Romans 12.1 says the same thing. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I love Pam. I think in her workshop, she'll read this from the message, which includes, he he adds in there, all of your normal, everyday, mundane activities, offering your bodies up your ordinary days as a sacrifice of praise, as a living sacrifice. This is transformation and sanctification. Brother Lawrence said, Sanctification does not involve changing what we do, but in doing our normal activities for God's sake. Whatever it is that you do becomes worship, and we are sanctified through it. Now, how does this happen? By putting it up on the altar. Exodus 29 says, whatever touches the altar becomes holy. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, he says, the altar makes the gift sacred. There was nothing necessarily sacred about my clogged toilet, okay? But when I offer that, if you will, up on the altar of my life and say, God, use this to conform me to the image of his son, it becomes holy. That moment becomes holy. That experience becomes holy. I can interact with the God of the universe through very frustrating, mundane activities when I offer them up on the altar of my life to God. So how exactly does this work itself out? Again, by recognizing the sacred in the midst of the mundane. When we let the ordinary transform us into glory. That's a key word, let. James 1.4 says, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing." So interestingly, we become complete, that is, mature, transform, change, not by going out and doing something, but by letting something happen to us. So there's a sense that it's passive. And yet, this let is not entirely passive, right? As if it's easy, Okay. An example of this would be at the beginning of this week, um, for what reason, I have no idea. But I did this three-day cleanse thing, right? So you eat healthy foods and you don't have sugar and salt and stuff. You've done something like that before. So did this cleanse and so you eat really healthy stuff and you don't eat sugar, which is too bad because I love sugar. And um, so did this three-day cleanse. And you're super tired and you feel awful, right? But then at the end, you feel great. It's awesome. So I'm in the middle of this cleanse. And you've got to let it have its effect, right? What does that look like? It means that when I'm on day three, and my parents bring over pizza, I don't eat it, right? When my kids are hogging down and my husband's eating like five pieces and I'm like, I want some of that pizza so bad, right? And I'm sitting there eating my mixed greens and I'm just like, I want some of that pizza. I'm going to let this cleanse have its work in my life. So all I have to do is not do that, right? not shove that pizza in my face that's all I have to do and yet is that just passive no we let something have its work in our lives we let this have its work in our life now what do we let that word steadfastness the Greek word for steadfastness go with me here is hoopamoni? does anybody know about hoopamoni? It's just the best word ever, okay? Hupamone, it's like everyday lingo in my house. I'm like, I need some hupamone, please, Lord, hupamone. Um, My friends know I text them. I'm like, praying in all over you, girl. Hupamone is in James 1, 4, and it's also translated endurance. It's mentioned 31 times in the New Testament, and in my opinion, it is one of the best words in Scripture, hands down, all right? Hupamone does not just mean endurance, like head down, bearing this, Whatever it is, the burden, like some of us bear the daily mundane tasks of life, okay? hoopamoni is not only the ability to bear things, but the ability in bearing them to turn them into glory. It is conquering endurance. Hoopamoni is the spirit which no, con- no circumstance in life can ever defeat and which no event can ever vanquish. Hoopamoni is the ability to deal triumphantly with anything that life can do to us. Amen, right? That's what I need in my life. I need a heap of hoopamoni in my life, amen? That is what transforms us. Now, how does this work? Romans 5.1 tells us, 5.3, excuse me, tells us very clearly how this hoopamoni works. It says in Romans 5.3, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces hoopamoni. Yes, all right? And hoopamoni produces character, And character produces hope. This is the process of transformation in our lives. When we let the ordinary inconveniences, loosely called suffering, in our lives, produce hupomone, which changes our character from the inside out and births hope. That is transformation. When we let the ordinary transform us into glory, when we let our days transform our lives, Amen. So, six ways, if you bear with me, I like mnemonic devices. So, I like things that I can remember when I am in the middle of my day and I'm like, I have no idea right now how to make this like sacred because this is a mess, okay? So, I like things that I can remember. So, we're going to use this keyword, let, okay? That is our keyword. Take that with you, let. And there's going to be two steps for each letter, if you will. So, it's like, let. That's weird. I can't believe I just did that, but let. Okay, so think of that, two with each one. So the first one is look. Look. And each one will have a, a little something with it. Look. This is see the world through the word. See the world through the word. And Voskamp said, without God's word as a lens, the world warps. This is how we are to see the sacred and the mundane. This is how we look at life. So often we ask, how do I interpret the Bible? And we need to ask, how does the Bible interpret me? What does the Bible say about what does the Bible say about me? I'm gonna look through God's word. How does the Bible interpret life? What does it tell me about what I'm facing right now? We don't study the Bible, right? The Bible studies us. And when we look through the word at the world, we see God. This is how we see God in our daily lives. God's word teaches us how to see life. We have to daily soak in God's word and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12.1. That is how we see the sacred and the mundane, and we see God, and we are transformed by looking at the world through his word. When I was 19, I remember reading this great little book by Anne Ortland. Maybe you know Anne Ortland; Disciplines of a Beautiful Woman. I love her. And she has this little throwaway sentence in that book um, that says that she would read through the Bible every year, just cover to cover, start in the beginning, go to the end, four chapters a day. And I remember thinking, that's amazing. It's so simple. And I remember thinking at the time, okay, I'm 19. And if the Lord gives me however many years, maybe a lot, I could read through the Bible like 60 or 70 times, right? That's crazy. That's awesome. I would know God's word. So I'm kind of just, I'm kind of a slow and steady wins the race kind of girl. I'm just, I, I plod. My husband and I both like, we're plodders. We just, we plod. And so I started And so I've read through the Bible 15 times, and I love God's Word. And I will tell you, there is something that transforms our life by just getting in it every day. I love Bible studies. I love topical studies. We do Beth Moore stuff. We do all that kind of thing. But there is something about just reading God's Word cover to cover, not just the portions that make me feel warm and fuzzy, but all of it. Right? Seeing that this is God's story, it changes us from the inside out. We become like what we behold. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we are transformed by beholding him and being changed into his image. When we look at him every single day, we are changed into his image. By just spending time in his word every single day. I have people ask me, I I have people ask me a lot, how do you know your Bible? Did you learn that in seminary? I did go to seminary. I did get a master's in seminary. That is not where I learned my Bible. I learned my Bible by reading it, right? Seminary is awesome. That's totally fine. I did not learn my Bible in seminary. I learned it by reading it. Just every day, getting in God's word, read it over and over and over. Look, okay, we got to move on. I'm talking too much. Okay. Secondly, the second L, listen. Listen. Discern his voice in daily life. Discern his voice. In daily life. Five times Paul exhorts us toward uninterrupted prayer. He says, pray continually, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Be constant in prayer, Romans 12.12. 12. Pray at all times in the spirit, Ephesians 6.18. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4.2, and pray about everything, Philippians 4-6 unceasing prayer. Now, how does this happen? Does this mean we need to farm out our kids and have someone come take care of our house so that we can sit all day and go like this, right? No, unceasing prayer takes place all day long in the middle of your mundane tasks. This is True joy. Frank Labock said, oh, this thing of keeping in constant touch with God, of making him the object of my thought and the companion of my conversations. It is the most amazing thing I ever ran across. Constant companion throughout the day. Brother Lawrence said, there is no mode of life in the world more pleasing and more full of delight than the continual conversation with God continual conversation with him all day. Unceasing prayer is not prayer in addition to work, but prayer simultaneous with work. We proceed and fold and finish our work in prayer. Prayer takes no time, but it occupies all our time. Prayer is going on constantly. While we wash the dishes, while we change the diapers, where we care for an aging parent, while we work at that job, it's constantly taking place. Thomas Kelly said, There is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, with a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. I love that word, receptiveness, That sense that all day long we are receiving from God and listening to him. And if you say you can't do that, you're lying because you're a woman and I know you know how to multitask, right? We're always thinking about something else in our mind. We're having that gentle receptiveness to God. Now, in case you think, okay, well, I don't need to actually, like, sit down and pray. I just kind of pray all day long, right? I don't know if you've ever said that or heard someone say that. Probably it's kind of like a cop-out. Like, I don't really have a morning prayer time because I just, like, pray all the time, right? Um, Richard Foster says, we must learn to pray sometime, somewhere, before we can learn to pray all the time, everywhere. Amen. We need to sit down and spend time at the foot of Jesus and talk to him and listen to him in order to get our ear tuned to his voice for the entire day, to sit with him. Now, Jesus says, don't just heap up empty phrases, right? I'm not keeping time on how long you can talk. It's not a, let's see how long I can talk to God, right? You don't need to heap up empty phrases. I know what you need. Just pray simply to me and then listen, Pray simply to me and then listen. God, I don't know how you're going to work out this day, but you will. Amen. (laughs) Right? Laying everything before him. Number three. Number three. The first E is engage. Engage. Don't miss a thing. Don't miss a thing. Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. Right? So good. Wherever you are, be all there. To be preoccupied literally means to preoccupy a space, to enter a space ahead of its time right to be somewhere other than where we are now. And I don't is it just me? Are women just terrible at this, right? At constantly I'm thinking about something else that's going on and what I'm going to do this time and I'm very forward thinker. So I'm like, okay, and then tomorrow what am I going to be doing? And then the next day what am I going to be doing? Preoccupying our time rather than just being all here. Wherever we are, being all here. We will miss what God is doing in this moment if we are always thinking about being somewhere else engaging right here. And this is a perfect time also to explain that there is no sacred, secular duality. Amen? A.W. Tozer talks about this in his beautiful Sacrament of Life chapter in his Pursuit of God book. There is no sacred, secular. It is not just church work that pleases God, right? Because while we're all sitting here listening to the Word of God, someone is cooking us lunch. Does this please God more than whoever is making my sandwich right now? No. It does not please God more for me to stand behind a podium than it does for the dear person who is going to clean the bathroom after we leave. Amen? There is no sacred, secular duality. Whatever we are, whatever our job is, we can glorify God there. We cannot distinguish sacred and secular as if some work matters to God and some does not. We can worship God bowing while we're scrubbing that disgusting spot at the base of the toilet, right? Oh, that spot when you have boys, right? We can worship God there, thankfully. John Stott, the wonderful theologian who is now with the Lord, said, When Christ is Lord, nothing is secular. And Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch philosopher, said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He cries over this world, mine. Wherever you are, that is God's sacred sphere for you to receive from him, be changed by him, and influence others for his glory. Whatever your sphere is, It is not just religious work that pleases God. So the sacred mundane elevates all activity into one high and holy calling. If God wants you to go to a foreign country and do something that's spectacular, that's awesome. But if he calls you to stay right here, that's awesome too. Wherever you are, be all there. This was a huge lesson for me with um, with traveling, and I just really struggled. My heart, just honestly, if you're a mom, you understand, my heart is always at home with my family. I love them with every ounce of my being, but I know God has called me to do this. And so I would wrestle constantly with being gone and my heart being there, and I know they're taken care of, they're with their dad, he's awesome, they're great. But my heart, and God just, just nailed me to the wall recently, uh, six months ago, and they said, you be all here. The way to not miss a thing is to be all here. God is there. He loves them more than I love them. The way to engage and get all that I can out of my relationship with God is to be all here. So that means when I'm here, I'm not there, and when I'm there, I'm not here. So right before I got in the car to come to this conference, I was having a squirt gun fight with my son, okay? I was not thinking about my notes. I was thinking about how I could be as fierce as possible because he loves it when I'm fierce, and he loves it when I'm mean, and so I get my gun, and I shoot him right in the head, and he's like, yeah, like, he's just so weird. Boys are so weird. He loves that, right? So I'm just like all into that, and then I come here, I'm like, I'm all here hey, I'm all here this week on Wednesday. Wednesday was my prep day. Okay, I'm giving away all my secrets. You're like, just on Wednesday? No, it was a long time before that. But Wednesday was my prep day. I was all excited. And then a friend asked, can you watch my two kids all day? I have to go to a funeral. I'm like, oh, man. The Lord's like, yes, you will. So I'm bouncing this baby in the dark bathroom trying to get the baby to sleep. And I know that God's like, I'm pleased with you. It's not just preparing some sermon notes that pleases me. Bouncing your kid's baby in the dark pleases me. Wherever you are, be all there. Number four, along the same lines, it's an E. Along the same lines, embrace. Love the one. Love the one. Mother Teresa said that every face we meet is Jesus in disguise. Right? Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 25, basically. whenever we do to someone, we've done to him. We see that every person we meet bears the image of God. C.S. Lewis said, "There is no there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals who we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit, Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. There is no ordinary person who is in your life, only immortal, eternal people who we help along the way toward one of two destinations, right, who we impact in one of two ways. So the challenge is that we would really like to choose who to love, right? We would really like to pick, those are the ones I'd like to love. right? right? We're learning love the one. Our love is only as real as it is to a single person. And we're so much like the lawyer in Luke 11, if you remember the story, Luke 10, excuse me, of the Good Samaritan. And he's asking Jesus about loving his neighbor. And he says, I'm sorry, can I clarify who exactly is my neighbor? And it's almost like this is speculation. It's almost like there's a face in his head. that's like, not that person, right? Like I can love all those neighbors, but like not that person. And what does Jesus do? He tells him a story about a man who he would have despised on the side of the road. It's so much easier to just love people than to love that person. C.S. Lewis said, It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity, with a capital H, than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive only C.S. Lewis can talk like that, right? Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular, right? It's so much easier to just go, I just love those people than that one person who God has put in front of us. We've had a heart for uh, homeless at, where we live. Has, uh, we have a lot of homeless population and um, addicts, and so we have heart for that, and the Lord put this homeless addict in our path. Some of you have read my blog, know about Julie, who lived with us for five months, and is completely crazy. Absolutely crazy, okay? Makes me crazy. I love her. I would die for her. She's absolutely crazy, and the Lord is like, yeah, you love all those people? That's great. Love her. Love her. She is the one that I have put on your doorstep, and I would venture to guess More often than not, there's usually someone who comes to mind, right? That's already in our life. That's already on our doorstep. Because the beautiful thing about the Good Samaritan, really, if you think about it, all he did was not go over to the other side of the road, right? The Levite and the priest, what they did was they're like, ooh, I'm going over there. I'm not stopping for the one. All the Good Samaritan did was stop and help who was right in front of him. All we have to do is not go to the other side of the road, so to speak. Who is it that God has put in our life when we go home, the one to embrace? That is how we are transformed in the mundane of our lives. Number five, trust. We're almost done, I promise. Trust, the T. Trust. This uh, began... Oh, man, so much, so much to say. We'll have to do this again sometime. Uh, trust began, we, I, when I was uh, little, I wrote out uh, life goals. My mom had me write out life goals, and I found them five years ago and discovered that for 20-some-odd years, one of them had been blank. I had goals for family and God and money even. It was so funny as a little kid. But I had this spot for world, world goals, and it was blank. Blank. For my entire life up to that point, it had been blank. And the Lord used that to show me, Carrie, your Christianity is about this big. It is pretty much your world and your kids and your self-improvement. And I died for this world. How are you going to live with the world In mind, and he totally wrecked our life, so that will be a whole other story, but we sold our house, we changed our lifestyle entirely, we left our ministry position, we planted a church in a totally different demographic area, we took a 66% pay cut, and started having crazy people live with us, and anyway, crazy life change, okay, because he was showing me, you're not actually trusting me, Sadly, we can go through the motions of American Christianity and we can do all the right things and we can be part of all the right groups and Bible studies without really trusting him very much. And we say that this is a life of faith and that we want to grow in faith, and yet we spend our lives trying to set up our lives so that they require as little faith as possible. Right? So we say, I want to grow in faith, but then, oh, let me set up all these things around me so that I don't fall. And he's like, I want you to do something where your only hope is me. That if I don't come through, you fall flat on your face. And I remember thinking when he was asking us to start giving away this different portion of our income. And I remember saying to him, but we won't have enough, God. There's not even enough. And he was like, so then you trust me. Oh, oh, yeah. Like the trust thing, right? Hello. You know, then you trust me. That's what you're praying for, for faith and trust me. So we let go of control. And for you, for me, the blank was a goal. For you, the blank is whatever you don't know. Where don't you know? What is the blank? That is where you trust. And say, I don't know, but I know the one who knows. We don't have to know the certain outcome because we know the certain one. And he knows all things. So we can trust him. And lastly, number six, the last T is thank. Rethink worship. Rethink worship. Because we think of worship as songs that we sing. And I do love to sing. Well, I love to sing songs. People don't like to listen to me sing songs. Just know that you are blessed. I am not leading worship. Um, It's a joyful noise to the Lord, I know. To the people around me, it is not a joyful noise. But you think of it as singing songs, but when we give thanks in all things, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, all of our life is worship. He says to give a sacrifice of praise. And the quickest way to usher the sacred into our mundane is to commit to a life of thanksgiving. Reread that Precious book, one thousand gifts. Right, if you've read it, read it again, just to train our minds to give thanks in all things. Psalm fifty twenty three says, "The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me." How do we glorify God by thanking Him all day long? That is a surefire way to make sure your life, you're living out the sacred in the midst of the mundane. And in conclusion. The whole point of this is to let your life pour out. So often, our American Christianity is we think that we're to be transformed for our own sake. Like, oh, good, look, I've got all this fruit. Don't I look great with fruit? Right? Like, that's the goal. I have a huge fruit tree in my yard, and I will tell you, I don't have a fruit tree just so that I can look at it and admire it. I want to eat it, right? I want to eat the fruit. That's why we have the tree, so that we can be picked. The whole point of transformation is so that our lives will be picked and poured out so that when people spend time with us, they are nourished spiritually. We might feel picked. Sometimes I feel picked, like down to a nub after. When we are picked, other people are blessed and God is glorified. So what does this look like? For my day, that mundane, silly day with my toilet last Sunday, it was last Sunday, what does this look like? Because you can use this six steps. You can use it large scale for your life and small scale in the moment. Look, okay, I'm going to look at this. You said that you use all things for your glory and my good. So I'm going to look at this clogged toilet, and I'm going to believe that you are using this to conform me into the image of your son. I'm going to look at this day through your word. I'm going to listen to you. All day long, I am going to listen to you and what you say to me when you say, trust me. Trust me with your headache. Trust me with those 12 crazy preschool Sunday schoolers in your class. Trust me. I'm going to engage in this day. I'm not going to wish I was somewhere else. I'm going to enter fully into the moment, even though it's a frustrating moment. I'm going to embrace the people you've put in front of me. For me, literally, that was my six house guests. And I'm going to make them breakfast. And I'm going to make them lunch. And I'm going to listen to them. And I'm going to embrace the people that you've put in front of me. I'm going to trust you. I don't know how this day is going to work out. But I'm going to trust you that you are going to make it work out. And you know what he did? It was an awesome day. And I'm going to thank you in the middle of it. I'm going to thank you that I even have a home and that I have a bathroom and that eventually it did get fixed, okay? Everything worked itself out. I'm gonna thank you in the midst and let you use this day to transform my life, amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for these women and their patience. I know it's late and I pray that you would use their days to transform their lives, God. I pray that you would help us to embrace the sacred in the midst of the mundane, God. We love you and we worship you. You are a good God. We don't want to be anywhere else but with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.